This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. Zero Procure takes the time to understand your business, whether in hospitality or any other industry, and do all the heavy lifting when it comes to procurement. I'm delighted that their support will keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on the link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Sean Wheeler, people and culture guru and all-round hospitality and HR legend. Coming up on today's show, Sean gives Phil some coaching. You're a great person, you've got a great CV, it's not you, it's a job. Phil suggests new attire for the show. Why don't we wear capes? And Sean highlights his benchmark for success. And I thought, oh my God, I've made it. I've got a fruit bowl. A complimentary fruit bowl. All that and so much more as Sean talks us through his story and journey to date. What an absolute barnstormer of a career Sean has had so far. He's worked across multiple subsectors of the industry, but at each turn he's just followed his passion with energy and with some fantastic lessons for us all. All the way through our chat. He chats with such ease and humour throughout, it's clear that he was born to be in hospitality demonstrating what you can achieve when you really find your place. A huge thank you to Sean, and I wish him well for his next chapter. Don't forget to give us a like and a subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to HR legend, Sean Wheeler. Oh my goodness, thank you. That's very kind of you. (laughs) How are you? You mean legend, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine, I'm absolutely fine, thank you. I'm uh, enjoying... It's winter at the moment, so I'm enjoying the snow and getting out and about. It's actually great. Yeah, it definitely is winter, and here we are, straight into the the weather as always. Uh, but let's get it, let's get it done, let's get it done. It's snowing outside, so um, it's lovely. It's lovely, crisp. It's a bit slippy, but we love it. Yeah, I prefer winters like this rather than the eight degrees and wet and windy. So do I, absolutely. I think I love being crisp, and I go for a walk every morning, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah. It's a winter wonderland out there at the moment. Absolutely. How's how's life in, in Marlowe? Life, life in Marlowe, do you know what? It's the best place I've ever lived. It's absolutely lovely. Some amazing people. And I think since I've stopped working full time and I go for a walk every morning, I've met some lovely people. You know, when you first sort of acknowledge people, you say a bit of an eye contact, and then it's a bit of a hello. And then you get in, oh, what's your name? And now we're all going out for lunch and dinners and coffees and parties. It's brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you've got a dog as well, right? So it's usually, I usually remember the name of the dogs first and then I get to the owners later. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly true. Yeah. You take the dog out. They all know the dogs and then they sort of work out who your name is eventually. That's how you know people by the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But no, great. We're very blessed. We've got some lovely, you know, obviously Tom's carriages here. We've got Chris Evans here, the DJ. So we've got some lovely people around here and they talk about it all the time, to be honest. They're very, I think they're putting Marlowe on the map, bless them. Well, I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world. There's no question about it. It's got a lovely little uh, pocket there. And yeah, you are well fed around that part we are blessed we are blessed we go out we can go out loads of choice we're very blessed yeah excellent well i mean let's just get straight to it because um as i mentioned you are a bit of a a legend and you might be humble about that but (laughs) there's no question that you've i mean you've worked for so many different iconic brands in your career which was i'm really excited to get you on to, to chat about that but let's get back to the beginning and how did you get into hospitality in the first place can i be honest like most people in our industry i fell into it i'll be honest i was at school i was i'm the youngest of five children 
Um, and that meant that my parents were incredibly busy. And so, and I wasn't particularly academic at school and I kind of did everything I could to not do actual physical classes. And they were doing things like work experience and they were doing art and pottery. I've got an O-level in pottery and an O-level in art, hilarious. And drama. <laughs> you can see I did everything I could that was not academic and they were doing work experience. So I ended up doing work experience at a little pub um, in Henley where I'm from. And um, the landlady seemed to take a shine to me. I was washing glasses, I was only 14. Um, and she sort of said, let's do, why don't you do starters and things, go into the kitchen. So I started to do that and then got to a point where I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And she said, you should go to catering college. You seem to have a knack. Um, and so she got me, it was my, her that kind of got me interested to go to catering college. And I sort of did my city and guilds and my O&D at Reading College of Technology. Used to get the bus every day and uh, did my two years. And um, I absolutely loved it. You know, we, in those days, I mean, it's moved on enormously but all we did was really make bread rolls and bechamel sauce but it was fab grounding but it gave me the bug and I stayed working in the industry because I just thought I was earning and learning and I was having a good time it was a bit of a social life to be honest as well which is brilliant well I mean you know you don't need to overcomplicate it do you that's the thing I mean I uh, it depends on who you speak to on this podcast but a lot of people fall into it Mm. like that because you know maybe you're at an age where you just don't really have a clue what you want to do yet but You've just highlighted three excellent things as to why you got started in the first place, and let's just see where it goes. Yeah, kind of exactly. thing. And my parents were at the point really were hardworking. They got to fifth child, and like, well, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so there was, so I just did, and I kind of felt that they, you know, they were there for me. But ultimately, I felt I needed to find my own way. When you're the youngest, I think you kind of you you're a little bit more self-driven to kind of make your impact. So. And hospitality seemed to have the opportunities for me because there was, well, there was so, there's always a job out there. You're never going to be out of work, let's be totally honest, are you? Yeah, for sure. Which is, yeah, like, let's get that message out there. Yeah, never out of work. <laughs> and also, there's so much choice out there. I, that's, and that's why I've, I've been blessed. I've worked in some amazing sectors, but I've learned so much each time, which is, which is great. I know we're going to come yeah. to that probably at some stage. For for sure, yeah, that's another reason why I, I think your your journey, and I only really know it by named places. I don't know much about why you made the decisions and all of that. We'll come on to that for sure. But what I love about it is is that you have you've not just conformed to one specific sector within hospitality. You've had you know, you've had you've dipped your toe into quite a lot of uh, sectors within that, and that's I think that's that's what you can do, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, amazing, just... amazing, and. You know, when I when I finished college, I went for a job, but I also applied for Concord Hotels, which is still going today. And actually, there's quite a few people in the industry that are actually come from the Concord Hotel. Basically, it's a two-year management training program, but it's not really management. It's more you're learning the technical skills of doing that. So I was a I was a porter, a chef, a waiter, a receptionist, housekeeper. It's a two-year program, and it was amazing. It went to some amazing hotels around the South Coast. You know, thirty pounds a week living at the time. Uh, but I still had a car, which I couldn't believe it, actually. And I had a great time. You know, I learned loads, had a great social life. You know, those were the days when you could, you know, party all night, live in, great, live in, get up, get up, get up at 5 a.m., go for breakfast, do your breakfast shift, and then go out all night. Then, but there was no guarantee at the end of it then. I um, got a job. My, the only job I got offered was at Neon Valley Country Club in Southampton. And I was went in as a trainee assistant reception manager. Assistant, yeah. Well, to be honest, it was a trainee basically and that was about not very much money and I did that for a couple of years 
and then moved into food and beverage. They had a little, it was a golf resort. They had a golf club. So I, I had moved into the food and beverage. And then out of the blue, somebody approached me and said, we're opening a coffee shop in uh, Southampton with Miss Selfridge, which is complete. I, didn't, I don't think it's even on my CV, but actually in those days, we're talking uh, early 80s. This is before Starbucks, Costa, anything was around. So they opened, in the big Selfridges, Miss Selfridges, they had coffee shops. And a bit like Next in the 80s, they had to spill their space. They had flowers and all sorts of things. And this is what they did in Miss Selfridge. So I became the catering manager of um, a coffee shop in Miss Selfridge. Funny story. Never been in a ladies' clothes shop before in my life. Walked, walked and thought, okay, I'll go for the interview. Got approached, go to the interview. Walked in, so nervous. The lady said, can I help you? She, I said, no, I'm really sorry. And I walked out again. And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm going for an interview. And then she said... <laughs> I've actually got an interview with <laughs> So it was so embarrassing. They still gave me the job, which is great. I was only like 21, 22, but I ran uh, a little coffee shop and then they opened five. So I ended up opening, running five coffee shops across the UK, Leeds, Southampton, uh, Chelmsford in Essex, funny enough, uh, one in London for a while. And yeah, it was brilliant. Brighton. So I was the area manager of five little coffee shops, had total free reign because they were retailers. So we did, you know. Yeah. In those days, there was really no coffee types. It was strong or mild. Do you want strong or mild coffee? That was the choice. Right, yeah. Probably freeze-dried. It was, yeah, it was hilarious. So, but we did jacket potatoes. We made all the food ourselves. I mean, oh, I loved it, actually. Actually, it was a great little job. But, uh, do you know what? I, I, the thing about that is, is, what I love is that you've kind of already highlighted, like, you love the job. So, you know, and you said that the, the, at the beginning when you took the, the, the first jobs, it didn't pay particularly well. But actually... It's not really about that at that stage of your career, is it? It's it's just about finding something that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning and do your best work. Yeah, and exactly. And I knew this was going. To, I was going to, you know, learning some new skills. I worked in some really lovely hotels, and I learned so much. It's a sort of place. I wasn't, you know, we weren't wealthy, so we would never. We never stayed in hotels. We stayed in like holiday flats on holiday or caravan campsites or caravan sites. I don't think I ever stayed yeah. in a hotel. Um, so it was quite nice to go and work in these plush places and uh, live, see the different world, which was quite good. Yeah. And that was great. Yeah. So did Miss Selfridge for a couple of years. And then just at the time, they were opening a, um, a TGI Fridays in Southampton, in Fairham, just outside Southampton. So somebody must have seen me in action in the coffee shop and just approached me and said, look, we're opening a, a restaurant, um, a new restaurant. Would you come and give it a go? Miss Selfridge, there wasn't really anywhere to go. You know, they'd done what they wanted to do. And so I thought I went for an interview and I went to Covent Garden in TGIs. I was blown away. And this we're talking, this was like so unique in those days. I mean, I, nowadays there's lots of those sorts of chains, but in those days it was unique to the UK. And um, yeah. I had a whole day there. I was just absolutely blown away by the culture, the service culture, the the, the, the customer service, the level of detail, the attention to detail, you know, everything was made on the premises, huge menu. We used to do, they used to do checkouts, like cleaning with a torch to make sure it was really clean. It was, it, the training was amazing. The bartender training was second to none. So I joined them as a, I went back a step actually, became a manager in training and joined them and um, joined them in. And my first job was in Fairham actually. And um, uh, actually I went to Covent Garden to start with to do my training. And then I went down to Fairham in Southampton to help open it as an assistant manager and that was amazing it's because that was where I was living in then I lived still lived in Southampton so right I've been in that TGI's have you 
Yeah, frequently, actually, when I, I worked with P&O cruises, whenever we had uh, stayovers in, in Southampton and uh, we we would go to TGIs and let our hair down. Yeah, you know, it was the place to be seen. And we're talking, I mean, we are talking a while ago because in London, you know, this is when the mobile phones, all the city boys used to come in with the massive mobile phones on the bar and they'd all stand around the phones saying, look at the size of my phone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going the other way now, isn't it? It's right, like yeah, you, you want the smaller phones are the better phones. Oh, well. amazing. But do you know the money they made was incredible. I mean, you know, we'll come on to, but I mean, the, the volume of business I learned and actually the customer service and the attention to detail. Was in, so I ended up doing um, eight years, nearly nine years with TGI Fridays, which was wow, right. And luckily, you grew with they when they grew. We opened Fairham, and then I opened Help Them Open Reading because I'm near my other home, my parents' home. And then they said, because you've done two openings, why don't you do openings? Be in charge of openings. So I, I sort of took on the opening role, which was brilliant. And I turning these building sites into amazing, you know, from a service perspective and training perspective. So that was great, and did that for a couple of years, and then ended up being head of training for them. And then moved on to operations. So my last job with them was operations director for London and the M25. And we had, I think I had eight stores then. Right. My background's operations, really. Um, yeah. Mainly operations. And I, I loved it. The only thing I didn't love was, I'll be honest, it was always on a Saturday night. You know, there was lots of bomb scares going off in London in those days. And it'd be in the middle of Saturday night. And uh, the, the GM of Haymarket would call me and say, we've had to evacuate. And I'm like, there's like 500 people in the restaurant, you know, and it's like, oh, God, right. God and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So it was, you know, that was quite stressful. But the service, the attention, the, I mean, the volume, as I say, Covent Garden and Haymarket between them were doing something between 250,000 a week. And we're talking like late Jeez, 80s, yeah. early 90s. That's a hell of a lot of money in those days. Yeah. So brilliant. But I got to eight years, and that's where I met uh, Tony Hughes, who's my kind of, he, he was the, he brought TGIs to the UK. Um, he's retired now, but then he moved to Bass, and he's been my mentor. He's the guy that kind of gave me a chance, if that makes sense. And um, when I left TGIs after that long, I got to the point where if I don't move on now, I was getting to I was sort of late 20s then, I got to the point where I think I'm going to be red and white stripe for a year, ever. That's all people will know me for. <laughs> I, did, I did go and do some research, and I went to work for another company. I won't name them, but I went over and I sort of did all my research operations director. They were a small independent company, and I'll be honest with you, Peter, it was that it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a great it wasn't a match made in heaven. And I suppose the learning curve for me is yes, you can do all your research, but until you're in there, you don't know. Yeah. And you you know we spoke earlier about values. Actually, the values weren't matched at all, and so. Yeah. I just took the decision after four weeks, it wasn't for me, and I just left. And I just, and that was quite a shock to the system because I'd had a quite, you know, great career up to then. But I was thought, yeah, my values were more important to me than the way it was going in that organization. Let's put it that way. So I was out of work about five weeks. Um, So today I'm always a bit more supportive of those that have made, you know, everyone will maybe make, not everyone, but some people make one career mistake. And I'm always, For sure. I'm always supportive of that now because I've done it myself and I knew and I, you know, I understand why people, why they do it and why, you know, and actually if it's about your values aren't matching or there's stuff going on that you don't support, then you are right to make that decision rather than get sucked into it. Absolutely. And I think the, the thing about that is, is that there's a lot of companies who outwardly display 
values and look at us and look at what we do but actually the reality is oh, is different definitely. and so you can't really as you say you can't really ever know until you get in there and, and probably you know with on the first day you know that oh this doesn't feel yeah right yeah you know and, okay yeah i gave it four weeks i thought that's long enough we were doing it was quite busy it was a bit anyway anyway it's I want to block it out. Yeah, it yeah, an, yeah. Let's be honest, it was a learning curve, a big learning yeah. curve. So I was out of work for a while, and then Tony Hughes contacted me again. From He'd moved then to Bass, as it was then. He'd taken on the job of uh, taking off. In those days, Bass was known for just pub restaurant pubs, really, with booze. And he was bringing the food element to it. Because if you think about it nowadays, pubs that don't do food aren't really around anymore. There's very few. That's true. In those yeah. days, though, they were all pubs with crisps and pork pie and that scratchings and that was about it but now he sort of brought the whole food element to the pub brand so he said to me it was quite interesting we went for he said come for a coffee why why didn't you call me and you're embarrassed aren't you you're a bit embarrassed to say well i'm embarrassed i was looking he said well listen i'm i'm taking on these brands i'm uh, decentralizing the hr i'm going to put one hr person in each brand and you're quite good with people why don't you give it a go and i went all right I'll give it a go. Had no Scooby, apart from lots of operational experience or yeah. any formal qualifications in people. Do you know, I'd, I'd love this, Sean. I absolutely love this because, you know, I think in my head, I have, because of the brands that you've worked with through your career, I have in my head that this is this is a guy with a very clear focus and plan and all of that sort of stuff. And in actual fact, you're just, you're finding yourself with opportunity in front of you and you just, at that moment, you just go, yeah, we'll take that, or no, I won't. And that is the thing that I love the most. And I think I love it the most because that's also kind of the way that I've operated in, in life. I don't think I've ever operated to one massive grand plan. I've just been live life in the moment and see what happens yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Do you know, it's funny, you because you're absolutely right. I look back on my career, and it has been about, I've been blessed that opportunities come my way, and it's been, choice, have I t- yeah, will I take it or won't? But mm. sometimes... With my HR hat, I've you know I've always said to people, it's always good to have a plan, but have a plan that maybe you know you can steer off. It's good to have an end goal, but ultimately go with the opportunities. Don't don't be prescriptive, you know. And there's so much you can learn by taking opportunities, good and bad. Like from my experience, yeah. you know, I learned some bad stuff, but it, actually out of it, it realised what's important to me and what's not important to me if that makes sense so yeah the bad experiences are as important aren't they as the mm-hmm. as the good ones yeah and that was great so he so i went over and i took on a brand called vintage inns and they were a country pub brand i think we had about 70 there was about no 40 at the time but growth massive growth plan so again i did nine, nearly nine years with bass then we and in that time we went from Bass to Six Continents Retail to Mitchells and Butlers. So massive change, um, yeah. the organizational change, buying new brands and changing brands. And so um, I did five years with Vintage Gyms. I think we opened something like 200 pubs in that time, massive, completely wow. on the, uh, which was fab. And then restructured as you do when you're changing your dynamics. And I ended up being head of restaurants for the pub side, on the restaurant side. Uh, a head of HR for restaurants and um, looked after brands such as All Bar One and Browns and Toby Carvery and Harvester and Vintage Inns, a real mixed bag. Yeah. You know, some blue collar, high volume, really different, but 
brilliant because learned so many different things and learned how to do stuff with no cash. We didn't have a lot of money. Pubs don't really invest hugely into, you know, saying that vintage We Tony was a support. We had an academy. We had a kitchen, training kitchen. We had training academies around the UK. He was a hugely supportive and I had a blank canvas really. And so did the guy. Right. Um, so it was brilliant. So we had a great time. And um, I was then, appro- I was very blessed then. I was approached me, but prior to that, I'd met a guy called Robert Cook when I was at TGI Fridays. Long story. They're famous. We, I think you and I connected. You, I think you spoke to Stephen Carter a long time ago. Uh, when I was at TGI's, one of the openings I had was in Glasgow. And um, I just won my Acorn Award then. And I was with a, had a lady called Mags, and she'd, she was from Glasgow. And I said to her, Mags, I'm coming to Glasgow. I'm opening a TGI's up there. I'm looking for some cheap accommodation for a few weeks, for a few months in the end. So she managed to get me in touch with Stephen Carter. And he was at the Moat House then in Glasgow. And Robert Cook was his deputy. And because in those days, TGI's were different, we kind of, they got interested in what we were doing. You know, with the recruitment process, we did auditions. We had, we hired the Renfrew Ferry. We got them all on the boat, bus, and they, they jumped on the ferry one end. And if they, and they we did all the audition, then they jumped off the other end, you know. And um, so it was, did lots of games. And the game we talked about, it looked fine, personality and attitude rather than technical skill. We could teach all of that. So yeah. Robert got really interested in that, and we just kept in touch. Another funny story is that I, when I first got there, I went, they put me up in a really nice room and um, had a fruit bowl. And I thought, oh my God, I've made it. I've got a fruit bowl, you know, compliment- <laughs> a complimentary fruit bowl. That was, you know, that was like my mark of, oh my God, I'm a VIP. So that, yeah. that was good. But um, Robert and I got in, kept in touch. He went on to Malmaison. He went on to do other things. But um, when I was at when, when I was at Bass, I'd done nine years, and he then just had gone back to Mal as the CEO, and then they were just in the process of buying Hotel de Van, the, the parent company. And he approached me and said, look, I'm looking for an HR person to, to head up, bring the two brands together. You know, we, I, I like what you did at Fridays. I'm liking what you're doing with the brands you're with now. Let's have a chat. I think it took about six months for it to actually happen because the deal hadn't gone through and everything. And I, I joined, I joined, and um, I think we had something like five Hotel de Bams, six or seven Malmaisons. We they just secured some investment in those days from Bank of Scotland, the good old days, uh, to open some more. So I did five years with them, and we we um, opened twenty hotels in four years, and then recession hit, unfortunately. But we did everything yeah. we wanted to. It was an amazing experience. Again, Robert hugely supportive, total blank canvas of what we wanted to do with the people agenda. There's a there's a running theme here. Well, blank canvases appear everywhere. No, I think I've ended up with those sorts of brands, to be honest. I've been very blessed. I've been in either brands that are a startup and we've, we've got a blank cap, or they're very small and they want to massively grow. And how do we grow and can grow that um, that culture, that culture piece? Because there was very strong culture in Hotel de Van and still is. And, you know, Robin was amazing. And I, you know, I didn't have a long time with Robin, but I learned an awful lot from him in the time we were together and uh, Gerard, brilliant. And the culture was so strong in that brand. And Malmaison, totally different, but very strong as well. I spent a lot of time where I could bring the two together from a career development, but also make sure their individual cultures retained separate where we could, like even down to language. You know, we had the bistro and we had the brasserie. uh, And we made sure that they kept, because that was really important to people, the sort of the whole tone of the brand and everything. So... 
we spent some time doing that. But I worked quite hard behind the scenes, seeing how we could grow our talent. I mean, opening 20 hotels, we really had to grow our pipeline quite quickly. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we've had uh, Robert on the uh, on the show. And the funny thing about that is, is that that just jogged my memory about him talking about because he's obviously at Fridays now. Yes. Is that and he talks about taking it back to how good it was from that site in Glasgow that he remembers. Yeah. Um, so here's a little bit of a full circle story coming up here. It's uh, I, I find all that fascinating and the fact that here's Stephen Carter again. He's got no, he's as I've said, he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> I love him though. Do you know what? He's been so supportive of me in my career as well, and I I just love him. He's a legend, and he's a he's a real yeah. legend. He is my God. He's so brilliant. Yeah, and still so really. passionate. All these years, you know, and he's and he's developed so many people. I mean, Unbelievable. He's yeah, actually gone through his is school of learning haven't they a lot of so many people yeah. senior positions now amazing yeah but equally what you were saying there about uh hotel divan and malmaison was uh am i allowed to say it that way around yes yes malmaison hotel divan yeah, <laughs> is that because we've also had other people on who've who've been touched in their career by that period with that particular company is that what you were talking there about developing talent pipelines is is that it's wonderful to see that in that time as well, when it was such a, it was kind of a weird time, I suppose, economically and all of that sort of stuff is that actually, you know, to look within and actually develop the people who have the right attitudes. And I'm thinking of people like Matt Townley, who's yes. also been on the show, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, they speak very fondly of that time because it was about, look, if you can come to work with your best attitude and crack on, you're going to get developed. Yeah. There's no question about that. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's, to see it from the outside looking in, it's just a wonderful thing to when something like that happens. And and we just, you know, we need more companies like that. I mean, do you know, I look back and uh, the people are where they are today. Like Matt's a great example. Matt was our one of our graduates. Look, I'm you know, still in touch with him. And But there's so many people that have come through, you know, they joined, started their career with with us and actually now doing extremely well. And I love that. I love seeing how they're tapping yeah. their careers developing and progressing it's incredible and again you know very fortunate and I was very blessed that Robert said to me okay we so we created some great tools we had some great I mean I, that's where I met Jane Sunday for the first time um, and we developed right. talent toolbox we're one of the first adopters of talent toolbox they're at their online and that was a fabulous tool for us because it gave us all our learning training needs how people culture and needs and we really yeah. used that to develop the, the the people strategy to be honest on the back of it and we were blessed, actually. We look back and think, well, I think 100% of our GMs have come from within at the time. And uh, not, I'm not great for you, Phil, I'm afraid. But in terms of... No, but you know what? I, I would, as a, as a recruiter, I, I love that. Because actually, you know, we want to work with companies that don't have monumental turnover. You know that if you're going to be introducing somebody to an organisation that there's a, a really, really good chance of stability and a really good chance of development. Yeah. So I'd much rather work backwards so that the, the person that we're introducing has got a, a future. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you're just in a, a, a perpetual state of change, aren't you, when it comes to personnel? I mean, oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was a great way of you know, attraction as well because people could see that you could grow from within and we were serious about it, you know. 
Yeah. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. And also, you know, another thing we do, we, we did go out. We knew that we were doing some good stuff. So we actually thought, right, we haven't got a lot of cash. So how are we going to attract more people? Because, you know, growing that. So we went and went for some awards. And that was not to, to say we were blowing our own trumpet, but actually because it actually became a huge attractor for us to sort of say, well, come on, join this award-winning company. And it was a huge way of attracting talent. We were blessed, you know. Yeah. And we did attract some great people. And, you know, Robert was very creative. We had our Newcastle opening. We managed all of that with all our graduates. We put all our graduates. I think Robert talked about that. And that was fabulous. You know, they all, all anyone that had been on our graduate program, we had some great relationships with Lausanne and with other places. Lausanne, sorry. And... Um, we had an amazing time, actually. When I look back and you, you know, when you're in it, you kind of think your head's down. But actually, when you look back, I think we did some amazing things in those days. We had, yeah. we had chef competitions, cool, you know, we had um, housekeeping Olympics, which I think the Housekeeping Association have now adopted. Where, um, But also, I, I try to take it from a point of view of how am I going to help people learn in a fun way? And housekeeping's tough. So, we wanted to raise the standards of housekeeping. So we said, let's make it a competition. Mount Maison versus Hotel Divan. You know, hotel heats, then regional heats, then a national final in Birmingham because we had two hotels there. And they had to do like make a bed, you know, clean a bathroom. You know, they had to name the price of something. But it was fun. We made it fun. And uh, yep. you know, the, the standards of the rooms massively went up. And we had like housekeeper of the year. They got gold, you know, gold plated um, uh, feather dusters. They came, we took them to, as a joke, took them to London for the day because a lot of them had never been to London. So we took them for a couple of nights in our London hotel. We took them to see a show. We took them out for dinner. Oh, do you know what? That was amazing. And we did lots of things like that, making everything fun. And it was brilliant. I loved it. And and they're still doing a lot of that today, which is really nice to know. They're still living. It's not just died to death, which is great. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you've hit the nail on the head, though. I mean, if you want to keep people engaged, you've got to give them moments away from the seriousness of the day-to-day, right? I mean, you've got to keep them uh, having fun, as you've yeah. as you've said. I mean, it's such a massive part as to why anybody would want to come into to this industry that, you know, it, it's, it's fun at every turn if you want to have it. But don't let the leadership drain that away. That's yeah, the, the, the key thing. It's fun, but also there was, you know, from a business hat, there was learning and raising of standards and yeah. raising of knowledge in a fun way. So we were still getting a business benefit from it. But ultimately, it actually, people enjoyed the way they were doing it. I mean, Ultimate Cook-Off was for our apprentice chefs. And, um, you know, we used to find celebrity chefs come and do the judging. They'd have to design a menu. And, I mean, God, I look back and think, God, we did loads of great stuff. You forget, don't yeah. you? are in it. Um, yeah. Anyway. Friday, Let's just head down, crack on. Yeah. yeah. So I did yeah. five years with Friday, uh, with um, on Hotel de Van. Uh, and we got caught by the recession then, unfortunately. So the growth plan stopped 2008, 2009. We were having to, we brought, built quite a big team because there was no growth. We had to reduce that team, sadly. You know, I actually got quite, mo- I'm, you know, I actually quite like people. I know there's some professionals out there that don't, in my field that don't, but I do. Quite, right. So I took it quite hard, you know, to let some of those people that have been very loyal for a long time go, but you have to mm. survival. And that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, you've got to get the balance right, haven't you? There are times when, regrettably, that has to happen because actually the business has to survive. Otherwise, there's no jobs at the end, you know, but there is a way to do it, right? That's, yes. the, that's the thing. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be clinical and cold, you know, yes. and I, I think if, bring the warmth to a, a situation like that and hopefully people remember i've always been you know i've always felt treat people with dignity and respect 
do as much as you can, get as much money as you can for them to enable that journey and transition and also try and help them with all my networks and contacts, find something else. So that money they yeah. get is a bonus rather than they have to live on it. I've always been yeah. like that and I've always been trying to do that. So their, their transition is painless as possible. It's never not painless, it's emotional, you know, but you help them on that yeah. roller coaster of emotions. But no, it's, it, was, it was tough. And then I got to a point where I was, got, again, I've been very blessed all my career so far. I've been approached most of the time. I got approached to apply for the Dorchester collection in the UK. And at that time, it was just the Dorchester. And I looked after the head office in uh, London. But they were opening Coward Park and they were opening 45 Park Lane in the pipeline. And so great time to join. I met another inspirational guy, Roland Fazell. Um, who was the GM of the Dorchester. I didn't, yeah. the funny thing is I didn't have luxury experience. So I think I had about 10 interviews um, because I've come from lifestyle and, you know, fast food and pubs. Um, but yeah, sure. It was interesting. But not super luxury, as it were, in no. commas. So, and I didn't wear a tie in those days. So I remember having to go in the back door to go for my interviews because I wasn't wearing a tie. I think those days have gone now, but it's hilarious. It was all a bit hush-hush. And they thought, I think a lot of people thought I was a designer because I was wearing, you know, fancy suits and everything. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> but I had loads of interviews. And then finally, I think I took about nine months to get that job, actually. It took a long time, lots of interviews. Right. And um, gave, Roland gave me a chance, actually, which was great. And Did you know you wanted the, the job like at, from an early stage or, or was it something that developed as you went through yeah, the process? Initially, because initially I... My initial, I thought, yes, luxury. I've not got the luxury background. And actually, and actually, that Dorchester is still a massive iconic. It's, it's gorgeous. It's iconic. It's, you know, its history is amazing. Um, yeah. And uh, I also, in, in that time, met Zoe Jenkins. I don't know if you've ever interviewed Zoe Jenkins yet, but she's definitely. I haven't yet. No, I, I, she is a force of nature. Oh, oh, do you know what? I just love her to death. We, we opened Coward together, and I just love her to death. Her passion, her. She's got the biggest heart. Uh, she'll do anything for anyone. But, you know, she's yeah. a tough cookie, you know, takes no prisoners. But yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. And definitely, if you get There's a, nothing wrong with that, though. If you get a chance to speak to her, I think you'd be blown away by her. She's inspiring. I always cast the Dorchester a bit of an oil tanker. My predecessor, David, had been there 20 years. He was retiring. Roland wanted a new look and feel for the people time. It was very, you know, quite traditional. Uh, in terms of its HR approach. So I came with a different lens, if that makes sense. And we, yep. and Roland liked all the stuff I'd done for Mal and Hotel de Van and, and gave me, a, not, I wouldn't say it's a blank canvas. We had a lot more money to play with. I've probably the most money I've ever had to play with in terms of budget. But, um, uh, and I spent it, every penny of it, because, you know, like, yeah. you know, certainly at the start of the year, I used to say, right, let's allocate all these funds. So it's all gone by the half year. So actually, there's yeah. no way of getting it back. So um, use it or lose it. Exactly. Um, so yeah. you know, did a couple of years getting the sort of not turning, I suppose, relooking at the whole people plan for the Dorchester. And then yeah. at that time, actually, Coward was opening at the same time. That was a huge challenge in Ascot, their first country house hotel. I sort of arrived and said, okay, to Zoe, how many people are you looking to recruit? It's a 70-bedroom property, 250 in Ascot. I mean, yeah. this is like, I joined in the June. They were due to open in the, set, in the July or August. How many have you got? 30. 
Like, oh my god, right, let's go for it. So we ah. everything we could, you know, we had we went we had these bands going up and down. We targeted places like you know Bracknell and Slough and Maidenhead and places like that. We looked at things like transport facilities. They like, luckily we had we created some accommodation for the people on the property. We pulled out all the stops to try and get talent there. Used all my networks to say, come and join us. It's going to be amazing. And um, it was a fab. We did Coward Park and then about, that was brilliant. And then two years later, we opened 45 Park Lane next door to the Dorchester. Yeah. And then I had the Olympics while I was there. So I had a fab five years there, actually. Amazing time. And now you've got an opportunity to not just have a football in your room, but a football and a bottle of fizz. Oh, and a bottle. Do you know the funny thing? There's another... And a cake, maybe. A cake as well. Oh, God. This is where I really learned luxury because attention to detail, the amount of detail that they go to for every guest staying. Every morning there was morning briefings and they'd go through every single guest and exactly what was going in their room. It was huge, wow. and massive. And what yeah. we wanted, because you could pretty much, you know, you could do have what you wanted really. And they really went across, you know, the service level was incredible, actually. I think, I mean, again, at high volume, you know, we had 700 full-time people at the Dorchester alone. It was a beast of a machine. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. And um, I think we had 1,200 people across the three properties. So it's big, you know, big for three properties. Again, able to put some great tools in place and some great support in place. And again, Roland very supportive of all of that. And we were blessed, you know, we won a few awards there as well. And we got the uh, best employer, which was great for the, for the Hotel Katie's, which is amazing. Um, oh no, for the Katie's actually, that was the best employer, which was which was amazing for the so brilliant, brilliant, brilliant time. Absolutely, and, and you know it's an exciting time for that property now as well, isn't it? Because it's just gone through massive repo. Uh, again. I was there during yeah. the repo while I was there. We had one of the eighty the anniversaries. You know, we people were very low. We had people that have been there thirty years, and that was interesting. Actually, we had people that have been there thirty years, forty years, but then also people coming through. And what was also interesting. Those people that had been there for a long time had forgotten what it was like for new people coming through. So we ended up having to do quite a lot of work. We, we, we converted them into ambassadors and we did some work with them to kind of show the importance because they could be quite, not. I would say they could be not supportive to some new people coming in. They just expected them to be able to learn. And we were bringing lots of people in that hadn't got necessary luxury skills, but had the, you know, the attitude and the right personality. And we needed them to support them on that journey of raising their standards and raising their attention to detail. So we did a, quite a lot of workshops with them, with the ambassadors, and we used them as our gurus to make sure that they were supporting new talent coming in. Because we saw a trend where people were leaving within six to nine months quite early on because it was hard to fit in right? and because people have been there so long. So we we spent a lot of time with those ambassadors and helping them, and we looked at lots of process. I spent quite a lot of time with the Alan Ducasse team as well because they worked incredibly hard and they were working really long hours, and we were trying to help them understand you don't have to do all these long hours. But uh, you know, I, I and I'm not an hours issue. People want to do it, they do it. They got paid for working them, but it was burnout, and that's what we were finding. We were burning people out at the start of their careers, and we needed yeah. to help them stay a bit longer. So fabulous five years with them, lots of opportunity. To be honest with you, out of all the ones so far, it's probably open more door, more opportunity because I've got that brand under my belt. The other brands are brilliant, but because you've worked for luxury, people do think, oh, he's got luxury experience. They do tend to, whenever I talk to people for the first time, they think, oh, you've been at the Dorchester. Right. That's the, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? 
but they yeah. probably learnt more in other brands, if that makes sense. But I suppose the uh, the other brands gave you the tools that you needed in order to then take into to that luxury environment. And also, the, uh, it sounds like it was exactly what they needed at the time as well. They needed a fresh set of eyes on it. It wasn't there wasn't much point in bringing somebody in for that role from another classical institutional you know old lady of london type yes yes yeah so i i, I kind of i i get it and what a really really interesting time that that must have been very interesting and do you know what phil all the different levels of businesses i've worked at all the brands all the luxury non-luxury money no money people issues are exactly the same and yeah and you just have to look after people and you look you know everybody is passionate you know you're looking for attitude and personality you're looking for passion you're looking for you know, you need to develop them and nurture them you need to give them support you need to give them a best start i'm really passionate about giving people the best start in the business so they get the foundations right confidence and competence and then you need to look after them people work for people they're attracted to the brand and that we used to get quite a lot of people there was a little bit of arrogance with some of them because we're who we are but actually, you have to then walk to, you know, very simple mess values for me, deliver your promises. You go out with all these promises to the business, to the market, saying, come and join us because you get this, this and this. And if you, if you don't get them, then you're going to leave, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. And also what I call be brilliant at the basics. Absolutely. And basics to me are things like rotors out on time, days off together, knowing when you're going to work knowing when your holidays are, particularly if you've got an international workforce who wanted to get home and they used to try and get the best deal you know, for like, and if you didn't get back to them, then you lost that deal. And things like uh, making sure the food was great. I'm a great believer of, you know, those sorts of things, feeding people, giving them a good uniform, making sure they get development, giving them emotional support. So always put an employee assistance program in where I could like hospitality action. And so, because we're not all trained to be specialists. So, I've always tried to make sure those foundations were good in the business as well. And again, work with some great people, you know, work with Davidson Asset Management, where we looked at a whole benefit strategy, where we looked at what can we do to make people's money, certainly during the recession, how can we make people's money go further? So we looked at online shopping, we looked at things like discounts elsewhere, we looked at, we couldn't give them a pay rise, but we gave them another day's holiday. You know, we were very flexible and just thinking out the box how we could help people still feel wanted and and even though we couldn't afford to pay more money or give them a pay rise and all sorts of things and that's that's how i've sort of worked my career i suppose so my foundations have always been brilliant at the basics live you know make sure you prop deliver your promises and live the values i think we talked earlier about the importance of values i'm a massive believer in values of an organization living they're not just sitting on a wall and leading them through what I call the colleague and the guest journey, and they become your decision-making tools. You know, is this thing, um, okay, even an example of a new menu item, is is it hitting our values? You know, is it generous? Is it intuitive? Is it distinctive? You know, and and all those sorts of things. So yeah, I've been a great fan of those three principles. And I've, that's been my model actually. Without realizing it, those are the three things I've always made sure I've put into every business I've worked with, and it seems to have paid off so far, which is good. Touch wood. Yeah, yeah. You need to write a white paper, or uh, <laughs> or maybe open a consultancy. Well, maybe. <laughs> no. yeah. So yes, yeah, so what what happened after that then? What uh, you were there for five years or so? So five years at the Dorchester. Roland was funny. He always said five year plan, five year plan. You know, five year blocks. And I got to the point where opened the two the, the two properties. The Dorchester was quite well established. We'd won some awards. 
there was nowhere for me to go. There was no growth as such for me. I was UK based. Jenny O'Perry was at the global side. He'd been there a while, doing a great job. So there was nowhere for me to go. And so David Taylor then approached me and David and I have known each other for a while. David was at Hoxton when I was at Malmaison and actually his wife worked with us at Malmaison uh, in sales. And uh, we kept in touch and he approached me and said, I've just been approached by this private equity company to take on this new brand. We're going to create a brand called Principle and looking for someone to come and head up the people bit. Again, blank canvas, you know, 12 amazing properties. <laughs> I know um, you can, but this Here we are again. Was really blank canvas. So this was seven companies, operating companies that we were going to create one brand out of. And they were amazing buildings, but really tired really tired and we we're getting huge investment from a, a private equity guys called Starwood Capital and they were I mean to be honest out of private equity they were the best I've ever worked with because they really get the people agenda and they really get the value that people play to raising the the value of a property uh, from yeah people. hallelujah yeah it's really that's lovely to hear yeah yeah, brilliant. yeah. there's I think there's also a, a, a and I probably I'm guilty of this myself is that you know a, a lot of the time when you hear the words private equity you get a little bit scared around mm what what are they going to do to that brand you know or what are they you know are they there literally to just maximize return on exactly. the building and not you know for the sake of everything else and so to hear that that they saw the genuine what's the word i suppose in that investment you know, the value the investment that in, in people made to the overall value of the property yeah massive because yeah i was blown away you know i've worked with somewhere they're what i call asset strippers they're like let's 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 get take money out let's let's cut it down and sell it on and they always mm. have a five-year plan they they um but and it was tough i'm not going to lie i walked from the dorchester where everything was amazing to this place where everything was tight looked like some of them like that old people's homes and i kept looking <laughs> at myself going look to the future look to the future this will be amazing and yeah. David was so supportive, but they were supportive as well because they knew that, you know, we'd taken this leap of faith with them and they were going to invest. But we also knew that we needed to create, get a solid people foundation first before we even invested in the properties because we needed to create one team, seven operating properties. And so we spent quite a lot of time looking at how do we, what's our, what's going to be our DNA? What do we want to be known for? What are our values? And that was the first, that was, that was interesting because before anything, we did that, which is interesting because most people will develop the property and then look at the values. But no, we actually did that bit first, way before any of the investment happened because we wanted the existing team to step up. And even though the product wasn't brilliant, we wanted the service levels to get right and how they dealt with things because we were taking those on that journey of change. And so we, we what we did, we went around each property and we looked for people that were living. We did some work about our values and our five values were very simple, you know, generous, warm, intuitive, distinctive and local. And um, everything we did, we worked on that. So I went looking, scouting for people within the hotels who had those values, who were role models in their own business and also had influence in the business as well. We took them all to Edinburgh Zoo, to the um, monkey den, and we actually did a workshop with them because the theme was evolution. Um, so we actually had uh, this huge glass wall where we had um, all the monkey baboons and everything with their big bums were hanging around. We ran two day workshop where we were taking all, we took about five people from each hotel, about, so it was about 30 of them. And we took them and we did a workshop with them and we actually worked with them to create what we wanted the company to be. And we called them change gurus. 
So they were our change gurus and we gave them, uh, we worked with them to develop a program uh, where they took every member of staff through a two, two hour program. We gave them time on, the, on their schedule where they were doing that. We created some tools. We had t-shirts made saying change guru, York's change guru, you know, London's change guru. Amazing. Had fab time, actually. Really yeah. nice it. And um, again, on the back of that, we cre- created all the stuff I talked about. I worked on Brilliant at the Basics. I looked at how we could weave those values through the colleague journey from attraction, recruitment, onboarding to retention. And, and then we did also what promises at each stage of the journey what promises can we deliver? So what do we get when someone graduates from induction? How do we give people the best start? How do we make sure we reward and recognize against living our values? We did some pulse surveys to make sure they were being lived in the business. Um, and you know, again, we, it's a shame actually, because we the, got the, the found the owners got scared of Brexit. So American company, Brexit came along. They were like, oh, well, it's a five-year plan, but they sold within three years. So we're going, going in the Guinness Book of Records of the shortest hotel brand in history because we launched, right. in set, I think, November 16, and we sold in July 18. And we were just getting some traction, and we were just getting the name. I mean, the investment on the properties, you know, like the Russell, the Russell Hotel. Unrecognisable, unrecognisable. Amazing. I mean, big old beast hotels, you know, 300 rooms, yeah. big F&B, big event spaces. We had Manchester, the Palace at Manchester. We had two, we had the George in Edinburgh. We had St. Charlotte Square in Edinburgh. We had uh, in Glasgow, we had Grand Central, the, the Blyswood. I mean, we're talking amazing properties, amazing uh, architecture. And um, I think we put a great baseline on it. Just a shame they sold uh, sooner than we wanted to, really, because we never managed to get to all the hotels. You know, that was quite tough. But mm. that was a fab. That was a three-year experience. And then um, David and I, David, we then got taken over by a French company, and IHG became the management company. So I did, I signed up for a year, and I did a transition year with them, where which was tough, I'll be honest, because. All the stuff I put in was unraveling, and they were un- debranding everything that I'd put in. So, I'm right, yeah, converting it's quite heartbreaking. Well, and it was heartbreaking because it was. Do you know that was probably the toughest bit of my career because I'm always heart and soul. You can probably gather that the way I talk. I'm heart and soul. Everything I do, yeah. I put it in. I, um, so to see everything we put in start to unravel, and to still help the people transition to the new journey, the new brands was quite tough. So I did a year. Everything got either converted to a Kimpton, or which is a great brand, I'll be honest. Kimpton is probably very aligned to principle. We didn't know them very well, but when we connected, we thought, my God, this is just like us. We're very similar. So that was an easy yeah. journey to Voco, to, um, and then some of them became unbranded and got sold on. So I did a year, the first six months was integrating and uh, helping people on that transition journey. And then they asked me to do some work with some of their luxury brands. So I did some work with region hotels, which was international. So that was my only little bit of international experience, which I, is probably the only regret I've got is I've never really got as enough international experience as I would like. But people said, because you don't have international experience, you don't get the chance. So it's how do you get the chance? So I did use the opportunity with IHG to do some work with them, with region, which was great. And I did some culture work with them. And then after a year, I got to a point where I thought, well, okay, I'm, you know, I've suddenly signed up for a year. I'm ready to do my own thing. So, and that was in August 19. The idea was I would do a year of travel. You know, I'm of an age now when my personal private pension was kicking in, which was brilliant. And I have to say, again, I've been very, very focused on making sure, and I've always been encouraging people with my HR hat on 
to invest in your pen if a company's got a pension put in it because actually it's free money and people are paying into it you should be you know you should be paying into your company pension as much as you can because it's yeah. going to pay off and it certainly worked for me so i got to a point the idea was to travel for a year do all this because i never did uni and all that stuff i never had a gap year did some of that but then covid happened and joy everything stopped and um the idea was I was going to do some freelance, which I, I'm doing now, uh, which is brilliant. But do you know what, Phil? I felt incredibly guilty because I finished work in, the, in the September 19 and I would have been in the middle of all of the COVID and everything. I would have no idea. And I felt incredibly guilty with some of my peers, my colleagues. They were so in it and I was out of it, if that makes sense. And I'm yeah. bad actually for not being part of it. But I, but I then got involved in other things that I could do. So... I locally I got involved in quite a lot of local charities and stuff like that so I did Meals from Marlowe which Tom Kerridge is a big you know set up and I deliver meals to them I still do that today to old people and people in need in the town I still did all my other charitable stuff I just lifted everything but got quite involved in supporting and mentoring people through this journey of change but all freebies you know giving people support because it was tough yeah I thought my hat's off to everyone that survived that COVID with furlough and everything. It's incredible. I'm, I missed it. I felt bad about it being not involved, to be honest, because I would have been in the middle. I was, you know, did the recessions, two recessions, different things. And uh, I did feel weird not being in the middle of it all, I'll be honest. Well, you know, but you kind of, you you could argue that you earned the right to not have to deal with that in the way that, uh, you know, because you'd... you'd you know, you'd been sensible about your career, you'd paid into your pension, and now you were reaping the benefits of that forward-thinking mentality. And so there's a lesson there yeah. for anybody listening there is a as well. Yeah. Uh, because, the, you know, okay, you can't ever predict that a pandemic is going to happen, but you can predict that economic downturns are going to happen. You know, so that's inevitable. That's yeah. that's just part of the cycle of, of the economic life. But so yeah, get yourself prepped. You, what is there's a saying? You use the the good times to prepare for the bad, yes. and the bad times to prepare to prepare for the good. Yes. And you know, and you're kind of living proof of that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm you know, I'm sixty, coming up to sixty next year. So it's great that I'm able to do these things, and I have filled my time. I'm doing my own little consulting now, and I've not gone out actively looking for work. I'll be honest, I've been quite blessed. People have come to me. You know, I've done some guest lectures. I've done. I've done some work with, funny enough, TGIs with Robert again. I've done some work with Starwood Capital. They opened a beautiful hotel in Birmingham, the Grand, and I supported that through the people bit through lockdown. I actually did do some work through lockdown with them, and that was hard, opening a hotel during lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, but that was on the culture side. It wasn't the nuts and bolts HR side. It was the people culture and um, done quite a lot of local charity stuff. I sort of... I've always been involved in charity stuff i mean i've been the chair of an hiv charity for well i've been involved with the hiv charity for berkshire and hampshire now for 30 years i've been the chair last 15 years and that's been a transition you know the face of hiv has massively changed i got involved because i lost a lot of friends in the early 90s with it and so right. i just felt I, when i started to do more regular shifts in hospitality i knew i could commit to regular hours like i could commit to a meeting in the evening or go to say because when you're working shifts it's hard and you're working weekends it's hard to get yeah. in it so i once i got a regular job um, i actually did do that so 
and I've been doing that and I'm off to their Christmas party this afternoon, you know, just to sort of make sure that they're all right. There's still a lot of stigma with HIV. It's massively changed from when I got involved. I'm doing the meals from Marlowe. I support a little church down the road. We had a coffee morning yesterday and raised 250 quid for the Ukraine, local Ukraine community. I'm a, now the president of HR and hospitality, which is brilliant. Yeah, I saw that. Now, yeah. yeah, amazing. Congratulations. I know that's what I had a little do with them last week. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I work with AA and People First and work with local colleges and help them make sure we're, te- we're teaching the relevant things for hospitality. I've been involved with that for about 10 years. So I'm not, I'm busy. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm still doing stuff. I'm still giving back. And I think that's important. I feel like I've got to a point in my career where it's my time to give back to others now. Here, here. I, I, I think we were talking earlier on. I can't remember if this was off microphone or on microphone around the fact that, you know, when, when you're in your 20s, you kind of knuckle down and get your head down and it has to be all about you. It has to be about how you put your roots down in the direction that you want to head in and, and all of that sort of thing. But when you get to a point whereby, I don't want to say you've made it, but you're comfortable and that's the time for me where the the, the mindset start, started to change for me is that, you know, if you're doing okay, maybe you can help to see if you can help other people become yes. better and so on. And that can take it on any form, right? I mean, mentoring, getting involved with local charities, whatever that looks like. Mm. But there is this mindset, mindset, mindset <laughs> shift. Yeah, that was that was a close one. That happens, I think, yeah. especially if you're a, a, a people person, yeah. a, you know, a, pro- a proper hospitality people person. I, I, you know, that's exactly my mentor. I've been blessed. People have given me chances and opportunities. I talked about Tony earlier. You know, he saw something in me I didn't see in me, and he gave yeah. me a chance. And I, I haven't got any of the skills, but actually I've done all right from it. I've been in HR 25 years now on the back of what he said. And I yeah. feel, definitely feel my job as a people professional is to help others develop and grow. And I look back at some, as I said earlier, some of the people where they are today in their careers and I like to hopefully think I've made a small part of contribution to help them on that journey. Um, mm. You know, I was very blessed to get that. I was quite blown away at the Hotel Katie's. I got the Outstanding Contribution Award in 2019, which was amazing. And that was mainly because I'm just doing my job, to be honest, uh, which is great. But I probably have helped a lot of people over the years with the different brands and the growth of some of them in their careers. And also, you know, got my British Empire medal, which I was really blessed at. And that was nice because that was completely different. That was for doing stuff for the HIV charity, which has nothing to do with the industry, at right. all, which was lovely. And that was a real shock to the system, getting yeah. that, because um, I didn't expect it at all. And I, again, I was just doing what I enjoy doing. So being recognised is lovely, but there's always so much we can do, isn't there? You, know, you can't stand on your own laurels. And I've never been a totally uh, person to say, Oh, I've made it, as you said, because actually I feel there's still much I want to do in the industry. Yeah, I think it's just about layers, isn't it? It's about getting to certain stages. And, you know, when it becomes a point where you're not focused on, right, how much money do I need to pay the mortgage and put food on the table? And that's it. Mm-hmm. When you get beyond that process, then it takes the pressure off a little bit. And, you, you know, and that's when your brain opens laterally as well but what i really love about what you just said there is the fact that actually you're getting recognition for stuff which you say that's just my job yeah it's because i love doing it and then if other people recognize that you're doing great work because it is just the stuff that keeps you in your flow state then you know that's the place to be right and that's 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 where the happy stuff happens yeah and and, yeah and being here and now 
living because you know when I was working I lived in London most of the time traveling but now I'm in Marlow I've connected with so many local communities and I've actually got involved with so many local things I just love that as well there's so mm. much good there's so much good going on here it's an incredible place to live none of this gets in the headlines does it that's the thing is that and that's why we need we need to shout more and more about all of the good stuff and I'm just talking about in hospitality yeah you know get involved in your local communities and shout about it till the cows come home about the good stuff because the media would have you believe that we're all doomed. Yeah, exactly. There's some really brilliant, lovely people out there who are doing a lot yeah. to help others. And I think that's great. You know, and that's, that's what I'd like to be one of them, you know, for that as well. Um, yeah. Which is great. You know, you look back on your life and think, what did you achieve? And I think, well, helping others is probably the biggest thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I can't let you get on your way without bringing up hospitality action. So you're heavily involved in that. So just talk talk to us about how that came about and and what it is that you're that you're doing for them because they're I mean they're an amazing organisation. Oh my god, amazing! I've been involved with them for many many years, and I'm an ambassador, which I think you are as well. And um, they they do a great body of work in, for our industry people. And during lockdown, Craig Prentice, who I have a huge respect for, started to do some work with uh, mental health issues and well-being. Yeah. And we started, and it was his idea to create something which initially was called Walk for Calm working with Hospitality Action and uh, Calm. And it was all about helping those that in need. You know, sadly, I, I have a personal experience. I lost my brother to suicide many years ago to depression. Oh, bless you. So that, that was... Um, that, so there was a personal um, uh, required, you know, thing for me to get involved. And um, Hospitality Action you know, do so much good work for our charity. So we started to create a walk um, you know there's lots of activity going on like cycling and racing and lots of competitive things and we thought let's do something that is still energetic and still fun but not necessarily you know you don't have to do a 100 kilometers and a cycle yeah so we started walk for calm and um, in the first year as they say in lockdown we had to do all the protocols it was just in london i think it was about 20 of us second year last 21 there was about 30 of us and we did the same this year, we really got behind it because it's the first year we could really, without all the restriction, restrictions. So we hosted a, a walk um, in September and October across four cities. Um, you could do it virtually in your own back garden as fast or as slow as you like. But we also did four hosted walks in Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham and London. And we were really blessed. We had 400 walkers on all on the same day across uh, the UK, all walking for well-being. Um, and you were involved, which yeah, was great. Yeah, yeah. Part of Hospitality superheroes, which was great. I loved your cake, yeah. by the way. Yeah, that was that was Monica Orr's uh, doing that one. She's uh, she she. I think somebody said, "Why don't we wear capes?" And she went, "Okay," and she went out and bought capes. So <laughs> <laughs> she's brilliant, isn't she? Yeah. She's inspirational. Well, wow. and yeah, so we hosted this one day, and we did it across the royal parks in London. Uh, we had 250 people turn up in London, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and overall, as I say, across the other three cities, hosted by da Davis Asset Management in Glasgow and, and Adrian from the Manchester Hoteliers Association, Conrad from the Tonic Recruitment, we had 400 people in total, all walking on the same day. And we raised just over £92,000 so far, which is incredible. And, you know, because there's such a need out there still, you know, I'm crisis, energy crisis, cost of living crisis. Yeah. You know, even with these strikes, you hear horror stories where businesses are not trading, they can't open, they're losing money. Yeah. All of those hourly paid people are not probably not getting paid, you know, and they're definitely not getting sick pay and they're definitely not getting holiday pay. And they're definitely so 
any penny that we can do to help people in our industry to support these challenging times is critical. And so we've already got dates planned for next year. We're looking to do it in October. Our hosted walk will be the 23rd or the 8th, sorry, the 8th of October. It's a, over a two week period with that ending on the 8th of October. And we, you know, we really are, and Hospitality Action have really got behind us and we really, this will be one of their key walk uh, activities for us next year. So we're really, really blessed and we, we know we want everyone to get involved. Um, what was brilliant was it was a real mixed age group and real mixed, because I think mental health and well-being is so important to everyone now. Yeah, totally. Uh, and we had people on on uh, with prams and we had people, um, disabled people. Yeah, I saw a couple of dogs with- as well. Lots of dogs. It was just amazing. Yeah. And it was a brilliant. Yeah. Luckily, the weather was amazing. So that helped. But uh, I was going to say, day, you absolutely uh, set the bar on the weather for, for this year. Yes. So, uh, you know, just make sure you've got that booked in for next year as well. That would be that would be lovely. No, because the following week it was pouring <laughs> down, if I remember right. Um, but no, I think we're so blessed. And hospitals, we know that money is going to go to a really good cause and, you know, be really well used and still supporting as much as we can. So we're still looking to you know, get involved with fundraisers and sponsors and all that. So we're starting the process all again after Christmas for the new year. So it's definitely on our, our annual calendar now, but it's something that I don't think will ever go away. So it's something that we're really passionate about, Craig and I, and the team that supports us. We, yeah. we were blessed with a great team. So, and, it, and it, you know, we can't do it all on our own. What I really uh, love about it, I mean, beyond the, the sort of the charitable element of it is that, it was my first experience of doing it this year. It was, uh, it was very, very sociable. I I kicked off walking with with somebody that I hadn't caught up with for for years. Then you know needed to go to the toilet, so they they cracked on, and then I just went in with another group of people and started chatting to them, people I hadn't met before, and then you know and ending it all off at the uh, the Royal Lancaster with a bit of a bit of grub and a bit of socialising at the end. It was just just what a lovely way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it was actually and the as I say the weather was good and we went the parks were great walking around the parks I think we got caught up in a little demo I think was. didn't we at some yeah yeah there was a demo going on but that was interesting it's all like it's all experience isn't yeah. it but no it's it's one of my passions for it's definitely you know one of the things I'm proudest of this year that you know we've achieved and definitely it's gonna we know it's gonna be something that we'll continue to do going into future years as well. Fantastic. Well you can absolutely count on my support. I've already blocked out in my diary for, for next year. I really enjoyed you're that's the that's the, the, the wonderful thing about doing something good, but also actually it's just a really enjoyable thing to do. And you know, it's still a it's not an insignificant challenge in, in terms of walking twenty kilometers. You know, if you're not used to walking then you know it still has its has that challenge element but uh, yeah it was a social element for me that i just absolutely fell in love with yeah it was great and i and i, and I met some great like you i met people i hadn't seen for a long time i made some new friends and you know everyone was so it was you know you could do it at your own pace it wasn't competitive yeah. there were some competitive people yeah 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 um, always a lot of people like me you know that kind of was making sure that we just went got round it was 20k so it was a pretty significant walk it wasn't a it, well it wasn't just a walk in the park let's put it Indeed. that way it was <laughs> although it was yes it was it was significant so i'm you know really pleased craig very you know he's a fabulous he's such an inspirational person uh, always on to the next thing yeah and, um, you know, next year, he's, he's already given us a stretch target for next year, you know, so I'm not going to tell you what it is, but, he, you know, I have to bring you, I have to control him a bit sometimes, but he's amazing and I just love working with him. Yeah, brilliant. Well, we need to absolutely get behind the, the people who are, are here to elevate 
And uh, yeah, he's absolutely one of one of those guys. I hadn't met him until this year on the Walk for Wellbeing as well. But yeah, I, I mean, so many good people out there, isn't there, doing really great stuff. And we absolutely, if you have the wherewithal and capability to do it, then we should absolutely support these people. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's been, yeah, so... Yeah, so thanks for mentioning it because it, you know, I'm very proud of that this year, and I think we'll definitely crack on with it next year. Yeah, so get, everyone get involved, please. Fantastic. Yeah, great. So, what's next for you then? More of the same? As I, I think I said, I would stick more of the same. Still quite involved with my charities. I want to, you know, five key charities I'm supporting, and you know, other people come along and I say I can't commit because otherwise I feel like I am doing a full time job. I'm doing a bit yeah. of freelance consulting. You know, I've been a guest speaker at some events, which is great. Um, I've done. I just spoke the other week. Went to Birmingham and talked about EDI, and because I was quite involved with that with the IOH as well for a while. And so again, yeah, more of the same. Next year is a big year for me. So quite a lot of travel next year. We're very blessed off to Cape South Africa for a month. We're going to be going to Coachella in April, which is the Glastonbury of of America. And I think we're going to be the oldest swingers in town. So that would be hilarious. <laughs> so that's in April in Palm Springs. Um, so next year is a, a is a is a is lots of going away, is lots of stuff, but still doing, still keeping in touch with the charities and still keeping in touch with in some of the industry stuff that I'm doing as well. So that's that's it's more the same, but we're maybe doing a bit more travel. Great stuff. Well, it sounds like you that's a a big box that needs to be ticked. If you've not quite had the the opportunities to do that in the past, yeah. then go for it. That's exactly it, and 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 I'm in a position where we can do it now, which is great, you know. Excellent. Well, I, a couple of questions before I let you get on with your your day. You have given us a couple of stories already. Are there any? Are we leaving anything out there? Any comedy gold that should be that the world could hear? Well, uh, well, I mean, one of them is I mean, when I was at TGI's. One funny thing that we it wasn't funny at the time, but it was funny now looking back. We we always used to. We, it was always high volume, you know, problems with the kitchen, getting the food out Saturday night. I was the GM running around, making sure that someone's fried mushrooms was coming out the kitchen. And it was all yeah. a massive delay. There was tickets backed up all along. The... So I, they, I got asked to go and talk to this table. And I thought, right, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And they'd already had about three people go to their table. And they, this is then the GM going. So I said, right, I'm really sorry. You know, and, and I said, oh, I said to this lady, oh, how are you? I'm sorry, just come to see you. And she said, when's your baby due? And she said, um, uh, just as me trying to smooth the t- smooth the conversation and have a conversation, start opening something nicely. She, I said, "When's your baby due?" She said, "I'm not pregnant." I then, "Oh my god!" Oh god! That was the end of that. So they ended up we cost the whole bill. Let's put it that way. It cost a fortune, but it was a, just a learning curve for me. Don't judge, you know. Don't prejudge anything. And that I've yeah. taken that on board now. I thought it was trying to do a nice conversation, break the ice. Start to have a before I told them their food wasn't coming out yet. Oof, so learned, massive learning curve, and that was um, that was not funny at the time, but it, looking back, it was quite funny now. But uh, yeah, that's probably well, the only one. I mean, most of the, I, that's probably the only one. And I suppose the other funny story is well, not a story. It's not. It's a learning. Do more. I mean, you can't do as much research. I think I talked earlier about my you know my bit that didn't go well in my career. Learn from it. You know, don't be afraid yeah. to jump ship if it's not right for you. There is always opportunities out there. Yeah. And, you know, be true to yourself. I think that's important as well because you could, some companies, you can get sucked up into these organizations and 
if it's not what's right for you, make the decision fairly quickly. And that's what I did. And out of that came some really great stuff for my career. And I think, you know, yeah. bad stuff, sometimes good stuff. You know, when redundancies are happening and that was happening during lockdown, I would do quite a lot of coaching with people and say, guys, listen, look to the future. There will be other opportunities. You've just got to survive this period of time. You're a great person. You've got a great CV. It's not you. It's a job. And we let's work with you to help you find something better. And generally, yeah. nine times out of ten, people find something better. Uh, totally. And, and you know, I, I've spoken about this on this podcast and the IOH podcast around the fact that, you know, we I think there's this propensity at the moment to run away from negative or bad stuff or, you know, the stuff that's tough. But actually, you know, this is the stuff that helps you grow. It's, yeah. you know, you need these things to help and even if it's just a, a, a simple a, a method to say, well, I know for a fact that that's not what I'm going to do going forward, you know, that's a lesson you learn, and you, you know, that that becomes part of your psyche and a yes. part, part of your natural makeup. You learn so much from the good and the bad and the ugly. You learn so much, and it makes yeah. you a stronger person as a leader and as a professional. It makes you stronger, and it gives you more empathy. As I say, yeah. I'm much more tolerant of people if they've had one, you know, a career issue. And I do challenge people where they maybe had numerous career issues. I say, well, yeah. you know, you know, where's the finger pointing? You know, they're often thinking the point of the finger, the one finger at one person. I always think, well, where's the other three fingers pointing back at yourself? Um, yeah. And I, you know, I do think I always think to myself, why? But if you've got one or two, and there's situation, you, and I believe, you know, sometimes I get it. I, I totally support that. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Fantastic. Uh, last question. What would be your top three reasons why somebody should come and join hospitality as a career? I think fab never out of a job, always. Fabulous opportunities if you grab them and don't yeah. be afraid to grab them. And you can learn while you're earning as well. There's always something to learn. I think 40 years in for me, and I'm still learning and I'm still loving it and I'm still passionate about it. I might not be involved in this day-to-day -day now, but I'm certainly trying to influence and get involved. So I think have fun, take the opportunities and, and you'll never be out of work. Fantastic. Sean, thank you so much. I can't really believe it's taken us this long to have this chat, given the fact this is two years old now and how legendary you are. Oh, bless you. But uh, no, I thank you so much. I, I, there's a lot of gold in there uh, as well. And uh, I wish you all the very best oh. with the, the next phase thank uh, of your, of your thank life. You, Bill, for what you're doing. Uh, you know, I said that offline, you're doing a great job and you really are just helping people, inspiring others to come into the industry. So well done for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Well, well deserved awards as well. Yes, thank you. Well, that's that's what we we're talking about earlier on, right? When you're doing stuff that you love to do, then you know, good stuff happens to you without you even kind of looking for it. So I uh, I will take them when they come my way. Thank you. Good man. Take care, Sean. Take care. Cheers. And there we have it. Another wonderful story from someone who really has given so much to hospitality in all the brands he has worked for. And as I said at the top of the show, so many wonderful lessons for us all. I'll be back again next week with more stories from hospitality, but until then, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.